There you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero and hosted by the Heroes Media Group. Isaac Belden is a veteran with real passion and real purpose from the great state of Idaho. He is on a mission to help not only entrepreneurs and startups, but with veterans trying to make their way back into the business world again. I'm, uh, I was very honored and humbled to have Isaac Belden with us on Straight Outta Combat Radio. And thank you for listening. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset, for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. Our veteran guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is Army veteran Isaac Belden. Isaac is also a husband, a father, and a small business owner. After serving 12 years in the United States Army as a combat engineer, and for those of you who know this, a combat engineer is a 12B, or Bravo, uh, he left the, the service to start 12B Capital. Imagine that. 12B Capital is a Boise, Idaho-based company. They provide credit processing and business funding solutions to businesses of all sizes. Uh, and he's been doing a bang-up job with that. Isaac refers to himself as an accidental entrepreneur and says he wouldn't have it any other way. That's a great quote. Love you, brother. He is driven by his passion to serve and for helping others do the same. He has recently launched a passion project that will help veterans on their path to their own entrepreneurship. And I got to say, I'm humbled and I'm honored. Isaac and I have been talking on back and forth for a while now on business ideas and how we can collaborate, work together to make America better than it already is. And I'm humbled to have you here, Isaac. Welcome to Straight Outta Combat Radio. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I wouldn't have it any other way. I had to get Isaac Belden on our show. <laughs> you know, let's let's start from the beginning. Let's start about, let's start, what was the Belden childhood like? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, it, it was tough. My, my dad was out of the picture at a pretty early age. It was me and, and my mom and my, my little sister for a while, but we relied pretty heavily on my grandparents, especially my grandpa. Uh, he was kind of my father figure for a lot of years and I had a stepdad come into the picture, but he was never really, you know, he was never really a, a dad necessarily. Um, I always really looked up to my granddad and uh, he kind of shaped, helped shape the person that I wanted to be, but they weren't there all the time. So uh, childhood, it was tough. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, I don't know that my mom was well equipped to be a mom. She wasn't all that kind to us all the time. As parents, your children kind of, I mean, not kind of, I mean, they depend on you to supply those basic needs, right? We were in a situation where sometimes, you know, we didn't know where the next meal was coming from. You know, we didn't know uh, when the, the next thing that we said, whether that was going to set mom off and we were going to get smacked upside the head or something. So it was, it was definitely, a it was a childhood. It's going to sound weird to say it. I kind of am grateful in a way for it because I think that it, I wouldn't be the same person today if it weren't for it. And it also helped shape 
the the father that I am to my daughter helped me see in maybe a tough way just exactly how you shouldn't do it. <laughs> Roger that. I hear you on that. Did you um you know so your grandfather was your mentor? Did you, did you have any others along the way and and was there any military history in your background? Really my granddad's the only person that I can really remember looking up to as a kid. And military history, my my granddad, he was actually a combat engineer as well. He was he went into it a little different than I did. Uh, he was given a choice up in Little Bonners Ferry, Idaho, up in northern Idaho. He was getting into a lot of trouble with the cops. They gave him a choice, going to the Marine Corps or go to jail. So he went to the Marine Corps. He was a combat engineer, and then he also was an MP for a while. Uh, but he hated it. It was, it was funny. He actually tried to encourage me not to do it. But I don't really, I, I never really was very good at listening. <laughs> well, there were stories like that back then. My dad had several friends that, you know, their choice back then was, you know, join the army or go to jail. And honestly, you know, I wasn't on my way to jail, but the army helped turn me around in a lot of ways. And I think it helped a lot of guys along the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? I, uh, as a young man, I was making a lot of the wrong decisions. I grew up most of my life outside of Portland. Uh, Oregon in a place called Rockwood is pretty rough. As a as a white kid, I was the minority in that neighborhood, and and I was also a pretty small guy. In order to kind of fit in and not be, you know, a target, I got myself into all kinds of trouble. I was running with the wrong people, and uh, at some point, my grandparents actually took me in, and I moved to Northern Idaho, um, which was a blessing in a lot of ways, but just in, um, in the trajectory of my life, uh, in one big way, my best friend at the time who I ran with, who I got into all kinds of trouble with about six months after I left, he ended up in a situation where he was defending himself, but he ended up getting charged with attempted murder and going to, uh, he went to juvenile detention for a little while, but they ended up bumping him up once he was convicted bumping him up to Oregon State Penitentiary, oh. where he spent uh, just shy of 10 years. Um, and, I mean, he was, I think he was 16 when he went in. So he ended up getting charged as an adult and then kicked up big boy jail. Had I been, I mean, chances are, had, had I not been pulled out of that situation when I was, I probably would have been standing right there next to him that day. So it's, it's just, in, it's incredibly crazy to think, you know, these these decisions that, may seem so small at any given time can have such a huge impact on the, the trajectory of your life. Absolutely. That's a great way of putting it, Isaac. You know, the, you know, we've heard about the two degrees of separation and, you know, that story is not unlike a guy that I used to run with who served eight years in the, in the penitentiary on drug related charges. And a couple of months after we parted ways and I headed to California, my mom sent me this thing in the mail that he had gotten popped on similar things and and but you're so right man and this is why i think guys like you have such important stories to tell because it's those types of things that you can point out from your life experiences that might be able to help somebody else you know so be careful who you run with you know it it, yeah. can, it can haunt you for the rest of your life and i'm not going to disclose anything here on the air with you today but i can tell you this there's a lot of stupid stuff that we used to do back in the day that would have gotten yeah. us in a lot of trouble, man. Just saying. Amen. I think there's <laughs> statute of limitations on most of it, but but we're good to go. But uh, 
So, you know, so, <laughs> so you're in Northern Idaho, you know, you're in high school. Did you go to the service right after high school? Or did you get out and work before you did that? My grandparents didn't have a lot of money either. And I, my grades weren't all that great, not for a lack of ability, more for a lack of motivation, I think. You don't and, seem like uh, an so unmotivated guy, though. All these things you're doing now, you know. I've grown, I've grown into it. Um, so I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And, I mean, I guess as a 17-year-old, maybe a lot of people don't. But I knew that I didn't want to be what my parents were. And I knew that joining the military would give me, at, at the very least, some structure and maybe some direction. So I actually joined at 17 it's kind of a funny story because I kind of fooled my mom into signing. Did you lie to her, man? Yeah. So kind, she kind. was signing. What she thought she was signing was not what she was signing. And um, so I joined on the split option program. I went to my basic training uh, after my junior year of high school, came back for my senior year of high school and then went back for my my actual advanced individual training at Fort Leonard Wood in the summer after my senior year of high school. So I went right into it. So how was that? You know, you know here you are, you're this rambunctious, crazy junior in high school, and you go away to basic training. Was that a shock? To some degree. I mean, I... I think coming from the environment that I was in, I mean, the yelling and the screaming and all of that stuff just kind of seemed a little bit normal. I mean, I, I didn't have any of that with my grandparents, but like in my in my upbringing, I was kind of used to it, right? And I got into a lot of stupid fights and things like that growing up outside of the house too. So to some degree, it just seemed a little normal. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was the, your household it, sounds like mine a little bit, man. My, you know, I constantly getting yelled at. A little bit of a smaller guy, and you know, always out there raising hell. You know, defending myself to much larger people. And I get it. I hear you, brother. I hear you. I'd say making making a bed every day was harder for me than getting yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, making the bunks and basic training. I remember those days. Yeah. So, so what was weapons training like for you? How did that, how did you fit in there? You know, you're from Idaho. Were you a hunter before you went in or how did that work? I was. Um, and actually it's funny in the beginning, it didn't make much sense to me, but I, I, it rings true as a lot of people say that the best marksman, uh, in the army is usually somebody that's never touched a gun before a lot of times because they don't have to bunch of break a bunch of bad habits. And I had a lot of bad habits. So, marksmanship I was all right I got better over time but um but it was definitely it, it was different right I mean shooting an AR is a whole heck of a lot different than shooting us 30 off six so yeah I, that was that was probably my favorite part it was just a challenge right I mean, you know you can march everybody it, depending on your fitness level I guess but everybody can put one foot in front of the other but going out onto the range and plinking off targets and having kind of that, um, having that competition between you and the guy to your left and right. I, I loved that. Awesome. You know, think back, you know, and I know they always stand out these instances when we're in basic or the advanced training. Can you think of one instance where the light bulb just went off and you go, holy shit, there is something here. You know, I mean, was there one time, you know, 
in your training that you just thought that this is I'm I'm finally here and I've finally learned something. Was there anything you can point out? You know, I I think it would be my first demo range because fireworks and whatever, right? It, popping off firecrackers and things is fun, but anybody can do it. The first time that I actually set up a really intricate, complicated charge and saw what you could do with it, we were doing steel cutting charges. And I was like, holy hell, this is awesome. Like, I did that. That like something that we're looking at this piece of steel that, I mean, it had to be a foot thick and we sliced it like butter. And that was a moment for me where I was just like, all right, I'm doing something. This is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. So as far as kind of the first light bulb, I'd, I'd say that that was it. But then I guess to backtrack a little bit after my, my basic training, going from basic training and then going back into the classroom for my senior year of high school, mm. that was actually probably the first light bulb because as I'm sitting there and I had had, you know, respect, sit up straight, listen to the person talking, make eye contact, all of this stuff, going back to the classroom and seeing all my buddies who I'd never really put much thought into it before, just how disrespectful they were. Like that for me was just like, man, the military's got it figured out. Like they're building people that not just soldiers, but just respectful human beings, people that can, will actually engage with you and actually pay attention to what you're saying and actually give you the respect that has been earned. And the, these teachers, they earned the right to be there standing in front of us, teaching us something. And as these, you know, 17, 18 year old kids, we're sitting there like we think that they're the biggest joke in the world when, and that's completely not the case. So I'd say that that was probably a, a big wake up call for me as well. Just seeing where I had come from and where I was. That's a, you know, that's a great point that you, that you talk about because it's true. You know, it always amazed me how I was sitting around looking at the platoon one day and people from California, people, you know, surfer guys from California, hardcore city guys from Detroit and Brooklyn. I'm a Florida boy, you know. It always amazed me how they could take these young people from all over the place and within just a few short weeks do exactly what you just said. Create a yeah. force of individuals uh, develop and mold the character. I mean, I, I love the way you put that. I mean, I, what a see, I didn't do it that way. I was much older when I went in, but I couldn't imagine, or I can now, a 17-year-old going back into the mix. Yeah. Great stuff. So well, what year was that you graduated from high school? So I graduated in 2002. Um, we, to, to try to, to go back a little bit, too, though, um, so as far as my light bulb moment on what I had actually done, the the potential impact of me joining the military happened on September eleventh, two thousand one. Wow. I was sitting in I was sitting in a high school class, a high school English class, and there was an armory across the street from the high school, and I'm sitting there and I'm just seeing cars pile up into there, people going running into the building, like all of this stuff, and I'm thinking Holy crap. I mean, what I joined in March of 2001. So we were just a few months in and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, like, what did I do? You know, I was scared to death and I didn't end up deploying until 2004, but that was the moment where it 
it became real pretty fast for me. And I think that that is, that's when I had decided um, that it was more than just kind of a structure or a, you know, a discipline or a, a whatever, trying to find a future. I'd, I'd signed up to, to put my, my ass on the line. It was a little hard at that young age to kind of sit there and process that. It was mostly just fear. Did you have, did you, no doubt, but did you, but you know, fear can be healthy. It can keep you alive too. Yeah. You know, did, did you have any friends decide to enlist when all this was going down, when they saw what you were doing or any of your friends so, say, we need to do this too? So my, my best friend guy by the name of John Pemp, um, he, I lost him in 2009. We joined together. So we were, we were in the same grade in school and we had talked about it and a recruiter had come in and talked to us and totally hook, hook line and sinker got us. Uh, but we, we had actually joined together and, uh, over the years, I mean, I've, I've, I've encouraged some folks to join, but there wasn't up in Northern Idaho, there wasn't a huge desire to, to join up. Everybody goes into logging or they work the farm or they do things like that. So. Gotcha. So, so you're in high school, you see all this going down, you know, you're graduating, you know, you got your career path set for now. And then you deployed a couple years after then. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We left in June of 2004. Where, where did you go on that first deployment? So I was in Iraq, the first deployment, uh, between two villages. Uh, one was Al-Hawija and the other one was Riyadh, Iraq, a little, a couple hour and a half or so away from Kirkuk. Uh, we were on a little satellite fob, a little forward operating base out in the middle of the boonies. So what what were you guys doing? Building roads or so, building what you what, what was the mission? So you would think that we'd be there blowing stuff up because that's what I had trained for. But when we got there, we turned over all of our demo to Air Force EOD and we were just pounding the ground. Uh, we were infantry. We kicking in doors doing route clearance, counter IED missions, just the village that we were, that we were closest to, there were some pretty nasty guys that had originated from that village and we'd get word that, that they were there and we'd go in and kick every door in, in town and never find anybody, but that's the way it went. But, what they do, uh, they, they warned their comrades, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Did you, uh, um, yeah. did you, did you believe in the mission when, on that first deployment? Did you guys, you know, you have all your stuff and then they take it away from you and you're doing something different. What were you thinking at that time? Just, you know, do what we got to do. I, I explain it to people. Um, I guess the way that I, the way that I try to communicate it to, to folks that haven't been there is everybody kind of has their own timetable uh, as far as when it clicks, you know, the biggest toughest, baddest guys you know, right? The guys in your unit that you expect to get out there and just want to crack skulls. They're Sometimes they're the ones sitting in their bed at night crying because they miss their mama, right? But everybody, well, not everybody, but most people, there's just this point. And it happens in a different time frame for everybody where it just kind of clicks and you just, you're in it then, right? And up until that point, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I, I, I was scared and I, I wasn't sure what we were doing. It didn't seem in the beginning like we really had any organized idea behind or mission. 
um, behind what we were doing. It was, we're walking down the sides of roads, peeking in culverts to see if there are IEDs in there, right? Dumbest thing in the friggin' world. But then all of a sudden, one day, it clicks, and then and then I was in, right? I, I believed in exactly what we were doing, and I could see it in the eyes of the kids. The adults, you know, they did a good job of pretending sometimes that they were with us, but it was the children that got me. Like, the children looked at us we, like we were superheroes. And in some, and in some instances, they actually thought that we had, like, this these this technology, like we had these orange lenses uh, that we wore uh, some days. And um, somewhere along the line, somebody had convinced them that we could see through things with them. So these children, they would, you'd walk up and they'd be like covering up their private areas and stuff because they thought we could see through their clothes. But, and it sounds kind of funny, but those kids believed in what we were bringing so much that we were on this, we were like on this pedestal where we were better than human, right? Like we were better than, we weren't just these people. We were these people that were there that had the tools and had the resources to fix something. And, and I don't think that I do it justice in the way that I explain it. That was what really kind of spoke to me and said, all right, maybe we can make a difference. Um, and that first deployment, did you think you made a difference? Was that that was before the surge, wasn't it? Your first deployment. Yeah. So yeah, and I felt like I did. Later on, I decided that maybe I didn't. <laughs> you look back on things, and I mean, we did a pretty bang up job of um, bringing some some consistency and some safety to that area. But we left, and the next unit didn't perform quite as well, and everything went back to the bad guys, right? Uh, so it was like, what did we do? What did we bleed for when it all just gets taken back? You know, we spent a year of our life fighting and struggling for these people. And then the second that we're out of there, it all just falls apart again. So it, it's tough. But while I was there, I, I really did, truly did feel like we were, you know, we were doing the right thing. Um, and we were making a change, but the problem with change is it's only temporary if you don't if you don't continue to foster it and continue to to mold it. If you just let it go and you don't handle it properly, it's just going to go right back to the way that it was. So it seems like you know, just if I'm reading this right, it seems like we had no. Seems like there wasn't a plan for continuance. No. It was like it no, was yeah from a handoff. The handoffs were terrible. It, I mean. They don't give you a lot of time. I mean, the, the whole right seat, right seat ride concept, I don't think it always works. I think that there needs to be a far longer integration period where you're bringing people in and teaching them exactly what, you, uh, what you've done and what's worked and what hasn't worked. That way that they can improve upon it. So you served in the, so, the U.S. Army for 12 years. How many deployments did you do in total? I just did the one deployment. The one deployment, and then you came I was, back. I was supposed to go back in 2009, but uh, they pulled me, and I had a shoulder surgery. They wouldn't let me deploy. But I guess once is enough, though. You know, I mean, here I am talking about it. But so, you, do you think you know? Would you do it over again? I would. Yeah. No hesitation whatsoever. You, you know. 
Yeah, no, I, I made the mistake of saying that in front of So my wife, I met her a few weeks after I left the military. So she never knew me um, as a, you know, an active military member, like actively going and having to answer the call. I made the mistake one day of saying that as much as it probably sucked and as much as I'll probably always have some of the, the, the negative effects and the positive effects of, of, of what I, what I did, I would do it a thousand times over. She immediately started crying and she like, <laughs> so, uh, it's tough. It's tough to, uh, it's tough to explain why I would do it too. It wreaked havoc on my body. It wreaked havoc on my mind. It took me a really long time to get back to a good place as a byproduct of some of that. Um, but in my heart of hearts, I feel like if I was, if it was absolutely necessary, like if, if they couldn't get the forces that they needed to to go and fight that fight, I'd I'd sign up and I'd go. I hear you on that, you know. And honestly, it is something that's hard to explain for each of us. You know, we all have different reasons, but I would have to say that a majority of those that I served with, of course, I was in before the first Gulf War. I would have to say that there was a sense of duty and a love of country. You know, we'd sit around and talk smack all the time. You know, I was a chemical guy, but but we 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 had similar missions. But we, you know, you raise the right hand for a reason. And I think somewhere in each soul of the, of the American service person, somewhere is that sense of duty for in this love of country. I I, I have to believe that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know. People want to trash on our country a lot, but I don't think anybody, you need to go somewhere else and you need to see just how bad it can be and you'll appreciate what we have here a whole lot more because as broken as it is sometimes... That's you know what we, we, that, that that is so well put because you know we used to run these trips down to South America and what, what blew me away is most people that I took had never been out of the country and you're so yeah. right Isaac you know so many people that haven't been outside our borders they honestly believe the rest of the world lives like we do and you can be firsthand witness it's not like that we do have a lot to be grateful for well I, and this is I mean it. It, this is a pretty, uh, I guess, uh, a big explanation or a big example. But like I say it like if my neighbor right now, if he was out in the front yard doing something illegal, right, doing something that the cops wouldn't like. And I called the cops and I said, hey, you know, John Doe over here is doing this. I don't have to worry about the fact that he might send somebody to cut my head off. Right. But over there, you do something as simple as say, hey, I think that somebody's doing something that is going to put, you know, my family in danger. We find them in a we find them in a field, you know, or the IP would bring them to the base in the back of a pickup truck, like kill their family. Yeah, that in itself, it's a very an ex extreme example. But I mean, be grateful for the fact that. You can speak your mind. Somebody's not going to make you pay the ultimate sacrifice for that. I mean, that in itself is just, it's crazy to think. And I don't think a lot of people do think about it. Uh, they don't think about just how good you have it. 
we can go and we can say the most vile, awful things about people. And yeah, somebody might pop you in the mouth or something, but uh, you've got the freedom to do and say what you want to do. And I think that there's no there's no replacement for that. No, you're absolutely right, Isaac. And you know what? You, you, you just hit the proverbial word, think. People don't think. Yeah. They want somebody else to do the thinking for them. And when, when, uh, when mass media, we won't get into that, but when, when they're doing all the thinking for us, it's easy not to think. And, yeah. and if we just you know, took time to, to take it all in and to think about what we say and think about those that have sacrificed so much for what we've got in comparison to the rest of the world, it really makes you appreciate everything we got. So, so tell, me, yeah. tell me about your transition. What was your transition, and and why after twelve years was it time for you to come to get out? So it was time for me. To, I'll start with why it was time for me to go. I didn't have a passion for it anymore. I didn't see it going anywhere. I didn't know what I was going to do with it after I left. I mean, it's fun to blow stuff up. It's fun to kick in doors sometimes. But what were my options? Uh, I could get into law enforcement, maybe, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to do that. And then on top of that, I had gotten myself into some trouble anyways when I when I did return. So there were some options that were off the table, at least temporarily. So I just I didn't know what I wanted to do. And and it was a struggle because I think that the one of the single biggest mistakes that our military makes is they bring us back and they just plant us. Right. You might get a couple of weeks demobing or something, uh, maybe a month. But if you're not injured, physically injured, you're, you're set off, right? Go home, check in with your local VA once you get there, which how many of us are actually going to do that? And it was tough. I didn't, I didn't know. I felt even though I had, uh, some pretty good friends and some family that, you know, love me to no end, in some way in my mind, I had convinced myself that they could never understand, right? They've, they've never had to do what I just got back from doing. They've never been where I've been. Um, if they did know, maybe they wouldn't look at me the same kind of thing. So I went it alone for a while and I made all the wrong decisions. I drank and I partied and I was just a complete jackass. And so it was tough. And fortunately, I'd say I'm a minority I did not go and I did not do the right thing. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't try to do anything to help myself. And somehow I was able to pop out on the other end and I'm a functioning human being now. That doesn't, that's not the case for a lot of us. I'd mentioned it earlier, but I lost, I lost my best friend in 2009 to the struggle to, I mean, if it had been handled better, he'd be sitting here with us today, you know? And, and I think that that struggle, it's inevitable that you're going to struggle to some degree, right? There's going to be some adjustment period, but there needs to be somebody right there next to you, forcing you to, to some, on some level to do the right thing and to get the help because it's ingrained into us that, uh, we suck it up and we drive on drink water, rub dirt on it. Like you're good. Like, Keep moving, but that's not always possible. You know? Do you, do you know? Uh, do you know Boone Cutler? You probably heard of Boone Cutler. He's out in the valley. Yeah. He's I think he's got a radio show down in Nevada, maybe Reno, some some place like that. And he he basically 
supports what you're saying about a buddy system and about staying in contact and about how important it is that we do, you know, as veterans stay in contact with each other, that we can actually help each other like we helped each other when we were in. But, but I, you know, you're right. I don't think there's, you know, of course I am not a combat veteran. You know, I speak the language who knows. I've had guys tell me, you know, you're, you could have stepped on something. Thank God you didn't have to go, but, but we were trained up and ready to go. And, and I, and the veterans that I've talked to, of course, you know, more of them than I do, but they all say similar things that, that it's not an easy transition because of the lack of transition training that you get. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of just rambling on here. So don't want to ramble. So, so did your wife have anything to do with maybe pulling you up out of that abyss? You know, so I had started making the right choices, some of the right choices, but she definitely, she was the, the cherry on top, right? She was the one that took a work in progress and really kind of helped me believe in me and do what I was always capable of doing, but I just didn't have enough faith in myself to do it. Without her, I wouldn't have started the business. And without her, I probably wouldn't uh, have my daughter in my life right now. She helped me through a very long and hard custody fight to make sure that I was able to be a part of my daughter's life. So um, the life that I live today and that my family lives today is, I mean, it wouldn't have been possible without her. Well, God bless her for that. And, um, you know, it's always nice to have somebody in the battle with us right alongside of us. I'm sure I'll have the opportunity to meet her someday and look forward to it. But so tell us about, you mentioned the word business. Tell us about yes. 12B Capital and why you did it, what it is you do. And then and then we'll, we'll go on to some other things. But let's, let's talk about 12B Capital. So 12B Capital... I worked for I worked for somebody else in the credit card processing and business funding space for a while. I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I took that job. I started out making seven dollars an hour, not knowing what I wanted to do. I was down on my luck. I just had a shoulder surgery. Like I just didn't know what I wanted to do, and it was during the time that I was making a lot of those bad decisions. I realized that I was really good at what they had asked me to do. I was setting appointments for them at a time, just cold calling businesses and setting appointments. At the time, the owners of that business, they were the only ones doing any selling. So I won't go into the, it's a very, can be a very long drawn out story, but um, to put it as quickly as I can, uh, within a few years, I was running their entire inside sales team. We had expanded to an amazing extent. I was making close to six figures, just running a team. And I found that in that I'd found a new way to serve. I wasn't serving in the military anymore, but I was serving small business and small business. Um, I think a lot of people forget this sometimes a small business is the backbone backbone of everything that we are. And, uh, without it, we, the world just wouldn't turn like it does. So I found this, this peace and this, this purpose in serving business owners, but I wasn't happy how I was limited, um, by working for somebody else. There were some things that were being done, um, that weren't really fully honest and on the level. And so I decided that I wanted to go out and I wanted to do it better and I wanted to do it on my terms. So that's why 12B Capital was born 
from the desire to do better for people and do better for these business owners. Somebody had told me a long time ago that uh, small businesses are like uh, somebody's kids, right? Because they, you, you take it from this idea, you might want to have this business, then you, you start this business, you know, the business is born, and then you have to grow it from nothing into something that's viable, something that can survive. And I've always taken that to heart. I've really, if in the early stages, because I deal with a lot of early stage businesses, it's vital that you have the right relationships set up. You have the right people with their hands in your business because a few wrong decisions can be the difference between success and failure. Unfortunately, especially in the credit card processing space, you know, that's something that most businesses have to have and it is taken advantage of every single day by companies. The, these, these, Slick sales guys slip in there and they say, hey, I'm going to give you the best deal in the world. And a lot of times it's a worse deal than they had previously. And it just, it makes me sick. So I wanted to come in and put all of these businesses on an even playing field because there's plenty of margin there to, to ensure, you know, my stability. If I'm making enough to do all of the things that I want to accomplish, both in my business and my personal life, why would I just keep on piling on more and more and more just because I can? And so that's where 12B Capital and our, and our give back program, 12B Gives, where we are benefiting nonprofits on the back end of all of our uh, business income. That's really where it came from. It's just in my heart, I wanted to, I wanted people to know that we're in this together. You know, we're a team. Uh, you may be running the business, but you can't run the business if you can't accept payment. You can't run the business if your lights aren't on. You can't run the business if you, you know, if you don't have a good supplier bringing you reliable products at a reasonable price. We're all in it together. And if some of those pieces are out of whack, you're not going to get where well, you need to go. One of the things go. you said that I think really is important, and I, and I like the way you said this, you know, for all those entrepreneurs out there in a startup, myself included here in my late fifties, but there are so many people out there that will lead you down the primrose path. And when you're eager and young and you have an unruly teenager, your business is an unruly teenager. Like you say, it's like having a baby. There are so many people out there that will promise yeah. you the sun, the moon and the stars. And the next thing you know, you're left holding the bag and they, they basically ran you over the coals. So, what I like yeah. about what you say is that, you know, you have that passion to want to really, truly help people at the startup phase. And that's probably the most critical phase for any company. So I applaud you for, yeah. you know, having the courage to step outside the situation you were in and for starting your own business. Because I got to tell you, your service and the way you approach entrepreneurs and startups is the way I wish most companies would do. Because <laughs> you're right so right Isaac there's so many companies out there basically you know dragging people through the coals and taking their hard-earned dollars which is basically stealing their dreams for their startup you know that's yeah you know and I know that when we talked early on we're going to be doing a lot more together as we move forward in the future but you know that's great that you're doing that I do know and tell us about this because I know you were excited about this 
just recently you did something in Idaho for businesses, small businesses. You guys, you had like an expo or something. What was that all about? Yeah, so I, yeah, so I, I had this harebrained scheme that I wanted to put on something called the Veteran Entrepreneur Summit because I know that entrepreneurship in a lot of ways saved me. I think that it, it gave me a purpose and gave me a new way to serve, like I had said before. And I wanted to, I wanted to bring an amazing amount of resources, as many as I possibly could together in one place in one day to try to clear the path to entrepreneurship for other veterans that may want to start down that path, or maybe they've started down that path, but they've hit some bumps along the way. So we created this one day event uh, that we had two separate tracks. One was for those guys that they either thought they might want to be entrepreneurs or they had an idea. They just didn't really know where to get started. And then we had another track for those guys that already had started something and they just wanted some additional resources or some additional ideas on how to, to grow what they were doing. Like I said, it started as a harebrained scheme. I didn't, I never put on an event in my life. I had no idea what went into it. I didn't know how I was going to pull it off. I just knew that I wanted to pull it off and I wanted to do it before the end of the year, which apparently that in itself was crazy. So I just started talking to people about it. And I was fortunate enough to be connected with a big bank here um, in the Northwest, uh, Zion's Bank, who um, a fellow veteran that works in one of their branches, I took the idea to him and he was just like, man, I'm all in on that. Let me go and talk to my boss and see if we can make something happen. It really kind of springboarded from there. Um, they jumped on board. They donated a space in the, on the 17th floor of their amazing, like amazing building in downtown Boise. They were able to introduce me to a lot of really amazing people um, that came in as sponsors. And we were able to bring in, I, I, I believe, I, I haven't really finalized the account and some people didn't check in and everything, but about 60 veterans uh, there for the day and then another 20 or so folks that were interested in supporting veterans that wanted to be there to collect information for themselves. Through that, we were actually, we put a, a nonprofit on the back end of it um, because I wasn't looking to profit off of this event. I wanted to, I wanted it to be pure. So everything that wasn't spent on the event, we donated to a local nonprofit here, veteran nonprofit called the Wyakin Foundation. And we were able to generate just shy of $8,300 for them in that one day. That's event. awesome work, man. That's not easy to do. And especially, um, when it comes to so many organizations out there not doing the things they say they do. And so kudos to you, man. And, and you know, when it's kind of interesting, I know you and I had this conversation before, but we say when people think of Idaho, they think of, um, you know, they, yeah, yeah. They, there's not, they don't think a lot when they think of Idaho. They just, you know, what, what, what is, what is going on in Idaho? And I got to say, when you tell me the story about this event and the amount of uh, support that you got for it, there's some damn good things happening in Idaho, especially for veterans, and you're on the cusp of that. So, well, yeah, good work, and guys. This is, this is going to be the – thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's just the start. I mean, just the, the success of the event, it got a lot of buzz around here, and we're, we're looking at launching something. It's going to be a monthly initiative 
that I'm going to call VES or Veteran Entrepreneur Summit, uh, vetworking, um, networking for veterans, uh, that we're going to bring guys together. And it's not all going to be about business. I want to build a community because one, one thing about Idaho that just boggles my mind is the veteran community is there's no connection. Everybody's just off doing their own thing. There's no, there's no real reliable way for everyone to come together. Um, or I guess attractive enough way for everyone to come together to build those bonds and those friendships with fellow veterans that I think is incredibly important because those guys, you know, are the people more often than not that know exactly what you're going through. And those are the guys that you should be talking to even just to start. Well, it definitely sounds like you're onto something really hot in Idaho and, and, you know, no pun intended. That's a good thing. And, and, you know, I, I, I personally am proud of you because I know that, and we, and we have had this conversation before. It's not easy when you're trying to build a brand or you're trying to build that type of following. And, and because there's a lot of people out there that are doing things for veterans that don't have such a pure heart in it. And we, that makes your job so much more difficult. And it's nice to talk to a guy like yourself, combat veteran who actually has a great story to tell about how you're affecting people's lives in a positive way. Again, kudos to you, man. I can't say enough. And I know that you're on to, to better things as you move forward. You know, a couple of things, three questions or a comment rather, what is, what does freedom mean to you? And then tell us what you want the non-veteran population to know about combat veterans, especially, and then your brothers and sisters in uniform. And then we're going to ask you to let people know how they can get in touch with you and use your services. So I guess that's four things, but I know you got it. So freedom to me is, it's the ability to be and do what you want to be without the fear of someone telling you that you can't be that. I believe that the freedom that we have in this country, it allows us to do or be whatever, whatever we want to be. Like, if I want to stop today and go and be, you know, a, a clown, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I could just change my mind today and go and do whatever I want, wherever I want. And it's totally possible. Um, and I think that that's something that we don't share with the rest of the world. I mean, obviously there are places, but um, I think we're in a very unique uh, situation here in um, and without fear, right? We're not, I think freedom is also the absence of fear in a lot of ways. You, you don't have, you can speak your mind, you can do what you want to do. And it's not, you're not worried about what's going to happen from a, um, an outside perspective. Obviously, I mean, you can make decisions and they could be bad decisions for you, but you made that decision and you have only yourself to be accountable for. So, um, I guess that's kind of a disorganized no, man, way I for mean, me to say what there's I, clarity there. I get it. No, it's good, man. So yeah, I mean, it does give us a lot of, a lot of, uh, it's the freedom of choice, like you say. And again, it's a lot to be grateful for. Um, you know, so many people yeah. have, a, and the reason why we even do in Straight Outta Combat Radio is to 
is to diminish the negative stereotype of our combat veterans, you know, and veterans in general, but especially combat yeah. veterans who many people, because of what we read, uh, believe that, uh, you know, you guys are loose hair trigger type of guys and you're going to go off at any moment. And, you know, you, you can't trust a veteran because, you know, that they're, they're crazed. Tell, tell, tell people what the truth really is according to you. So that's, it's a really great point. Um, I think a lot of people, they think all of those things because they think we're broken somehow and we're not broken. We're just, maybe we're a little dinged up, but, uh, but it doesn't change. I don't believe in my heart. I don't believe that it changes who you truly are. If you're the kind of guy that's going to fly off the handle or gal that's going to fly off the handle and be crazed and that existed prior to the military, you know, uh, I think that it's the, the media and, and even other veterans sometimes they, they put out this theme, <laughs> right? That we're all hard, we're hard drinking, cursing, you know, like, which I can't say that none of us do that or that I haven't done any of those things, but that's not who we are. And really, if you take a step back and you look at society as a whole, it's not just veterans that do those sorts of things, you know, people going in and shooting places up and everything. Those aren't veterans. Those are kids a lot of times, you know? So I guess my message is just that veterans aren't what you think you are. Get to know a veteran, go and go and visit some veteran networking events, some veteran causes and meet some veterans. And you're going to meet some of the hardest working, most dedicated, most caring people you've ever met in your life. There's obviously an exception to every rule, but I just, I don't know how to change it other than just, you know, smack my fellow brothers and sisters upside the head and be like, what are you doing? Is this what you want people to think of combat veterans? Uh, it's just, we perpetuate a lot of our own problems. Uh, I, you know, I, I believe you. And, and, you know, and I think we can change it by, you know, watching out for each other buddy system too, but also... Shows like we're doing. Continue to educate. You know, we've had, you know, over 100,000 people listening to this show. And that's 100,000 people that are that are learning more about other veterans, but also the stories and the wisdom that you just gave us that can help us through our own rough times. And, you know, speaking of rough times, you know, if there's some veterans out there who are suffering, what would you tell them, Isaac? Talk to somebody. I, I mean, talk to me, you know, <laughs> I can be found on social media very easily. The, the, where things, where things started to get better for me is when I was willing to let them get better for me. When I stuffed everything in and just thought, well, it'll all go away. You know, it'll get better. It's not going to get better. You just get more numb to it. So my message to anybody listening to this, that's going through hard times is talk to somebody. I don't care who it is. It doesn't need to be the VA. It doesn't need to be your family. Uh, join a veteran group. Get into one of these tribes or whatever and just start talking to people. You know, follow follow John and Green Zone Hero. There's a lot of really solid people that are there to that want to serve you, that want to be there for you. I'm building something here that I believe will be able to be expanded outside of Idaho eventually because I think that it is so incredibly important for us to connect because when we leave the service, we disconnect. 
we lose some of our best friends we've ever had. People that have been through things with us that nobody will ever go through us with, go through with anybody again. And and those kind of bonds, they shouldn't die, but they do. And when they do, you need to go and you need to find other people that you can talk to about it because keeping quiet is it's it kills. Like plain and simple. It Definitely kills. some great advice and words of wisdom from from you, Isaac. And you know, give me you know how uh, you just said people can find you on social media, but give me why do I want to use twelve B Capital? You know, give me your elevator pitch and uh, why a company wants wants to use your services, and and then how they can how they can get a hold of you to, to make that happen. So as far as why why to do business with twelve B Capital. Um, I have, a, I have a best price guarantee. Everybody says that. So, I mean, that's not worth the paper that it's written on. But I show you what I'm going to do. I don't lock people into long-term contracts. I show you side-by-side side what I can do for you in black and white. And if what I promise you isn't what you get, then you can go. You know, I'll let, I'll let you go and you can go back where you were. Or you can find somebody else. I guarantee that I will beat any pricing from anyone out there. Unless it's free, because that's pretty hard to do. And <laughs> usually there's something else involved there. I don't there. think there's anything but, uh, free in this world. I don't know. So in addition to that, I've built in a give back program where even if somebody is willing to ma- match my pricing, I take 10% of my revenue, of the revenue that comes to my business, and I kick it back to your favorite nonprofit. Uh, if you don't have a favorite nonprofit, then I've got a list of... Uh, a baker's dozen or so, I guess, um, right now that I'm working with that I can try to guide you towards. And I think that that in itself is very important because a lot of these nonprofits that are out there, these grassroots in their community movements, um, they live and die by those $50 donations. They don't have the power of a wounded warrior project. You know, they're trying to keep the cell phone on and gas in the car to get to, you know, get to events and things. What I am providing is a lifeline. Uh, it's a residual monthly revenue stream that they can depend on when they that, that they know is coming in no matter what happens. And I think that it's key to the survival of these causes that are trying to change the world and are really trying to make a difference in not just the veteran community, but just the community at large. Um so being able to, I call it, I call it a win-win-win, right? Because obviously, from a business standpoint, it's great. You know, it, it's it's great marketing for me. It's so much more than that for me. But at the base level, it's great marketing for me. The business owner, it's great for them because they're going to get something out of it. They're going to put money back in their pocket every single month that they were spending before. And then it's a win because you're doing something good with your decision. You're generating revenue that you're not having to spend out of your own pocket. You're generating revenue for an organization that needs you. So really, that's the skinny on it. I mean, I feel like I can provide a superior service at a superior price, and uh, and we can create good with How it. How do? What's the website? So you can go to www.12bcapital.com. So that's. One, two, the letter B, and then the word capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L dot com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, either by searching Isaac Belden, 
uh, ISAAC, B-E-L-D-E-N, or by going to 12B Capital's Facebook page. Awesome. Well, that's great information. I got to tell you this, you know, thank you for being with us here today on Straight Out of Combat Radio. Uh, you are a guy that's definitely making some inroads into the veteran community out on the West Coast. And uh, I know that with your passion and the purpose that you have behind that passion, that you're going to do some great things for veterans and not just for veterans, but for small business owners everywhere. And you're, you, you, know, you couldn't have said it more succinctly. Small business owners are the backbone of not only the U.S., but probably the world. And if the, if the small businesses can't make it, we're going to have a rough time economies everywhere. And so yeah. it's amazing how, uh, you know, one person can make a huge difference and you're making a huge difference in the state of Idaho. And, uh, we couldn't be more proud of you down here in Florida. And I'm so honored and humbled to have met you and to be working with you on some things outside of this. So there you have it right back at you. What you're doing with green zone hero. I, it's amazing. And so I thank you for your efforts and I look forward to whatever we can do to push both. Well, we're not done yet, Isaac. So once again, thank you. God bless America and, and God bless your wife. And uh, I know you're one hell of a father. You're certainly one hell of a veteran who has his heart in the right place. And I look forward to the day when we can see each other eye to eye and in person. So thank you. Thank you for that. Absolutely. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Down.